0: I'm sure most of us have watched with really broken hearts the, the recent events in Gaza City. Now, it's not for me to, to preach about who's in the right or who's in the wrong here, but, but it's incredibly tragic to see so much suffering, so much loss of life for so many innocent people who have been caught up in that conflict. I'm sure we all pray for peace in that city as we do in many of the conflict areas around the world. And even though we can watch these events happen on our TV screens, I don't think many of us can imagine what it's like to actually be in that kind of situation, to be trapped there, with a lack of resources, a healthcare system that's crumbling, buildings reduced to rubble, so much bloodshed, and no way out. It must feel so hopeless. For so many of them. I think we can really imagine. We can really connect with how that feels. But Job would be able to. He knew what that felt like. The cause of Job's suffering was very different. But the impact on him was so similar. He too felt trapped. Attacked. Surrounded by suffering and death with no way out. And so many times he just felt absolutely hopeless. All he could see was darkness and despair. And yet, now and again as we go through the book of Job, we see him connect with a ray of hope. Even though it felt and looked like the end, Job could also express faith that it wasn't. He knew that there was more to come. He knew that his Redeemer lives. So we're going to read from Job chapter 19 this morning. We're going to go through the whole chapter so keep your Bibles open if you have one but we're just going to read the first 12 verses first of all and Lorna's going to come up and she's going to read to us.
1: Then Job replied How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourself above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I try violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Thanks,
0: love. Job was right in the middle of his argument with his friends. And he was fed up with it. Bildad had just described the fate of the wicked, of those who do not know God. He said this in Job chapter 18, that the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out, the flame of his fire stops burning. Bildad believed that God was in control and that God was just, and so that he will always punish those who do wrong in this life. He said that they ended up in darkness and despair. They experienced disaster and death. They disappear from off the, the face of the earth, and they leave no descendants behind. And Nobel, that didn't say it directly, I think the implication of his speech was really clear. This, what he described, matched with Job's suffering. And so Job, according to Bildad, must be somebody who's so wicked. Someone who doesn't know God. Of course, Bildad and the others were wrong. I've seen that, been reminded of that again and again through the book of Job. According to God, Job was blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. But this didn't stop their constant criticism. Mercilessly, they attacked Job, blaming him for his own suffering. As Job said in verse 5, they saw themselves as better than he They looked down on him. They judged him as guilty. And it was wearing him down. So verse 2 he asked, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? As if losing his wealth and his business and his family and his health was not bad enough. On top of all that, he had the torment of their constant unfair criticism. And it's a reminder again of the power of our words. Unloving words can be so destructive. They can cause so much pain. They can crush self-confidence, destroy relationships, even destroy churches. The old phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, and words will never hurt me. That's just not true. But words don't just have the power to destroy. They also have the power to encourage and to heal. Proverbs 16 says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The right words at the right time can have such a positive impact on someone. And that's what Jesus' words did. When loads of people were leaving Jesus, He asked His disciples if they were going to leave too. And Peter responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus' words more than any other have the power to restore the broken hearted, to lift up the discouraged, to bring the ultimate healing of eternal life. So this is just a little reminder, a little encouragement to make sure our mouths are filled with Jesus' words. Words that don't torment and crush like Job's so-called friends. Words that give life, like Jesus. Job knew that Bildad and his friends were wrong about him. But he thought they were right in one way. He also believed that God had condemned him. Look at verse 6. Know that God has wronged me. And drawn his net around me. Job too believed that God was sovereign over this world. And so whatever happened to him came from the hand of God. When he was blessed, he believed that this blessing came from God. But now that he was suffering, he also believed that this suffering came from God. Verse 21, he says, the, "The hand of God has struck me." This is how he felt." But Job didn't have the full picture. We know that there is much more going on here than Job understood. If you remember back to Job chapter 1, Satan had said to God, "Strike, Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to his face. But God didn't do what Satan said. Instead, he allowed Satan to do that. God said to Satan, everything he has is in your hands. So yes, God did allow these things to happen to Job. This was all under God's ultimate control in accordance with His purpose and for His glory. So in a sense, Job was absolutely right when he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But the hands that destroyed Job's possessions and that killed his kids and that wrecked his life, his health, were not the hands of God. Rather, it was the hands of Satan. But Job didn't know that at this time. And so from his point of view, it was God that had attacked him. And he pictures this attack like the city of Gaza, like a city under siege. Look at at verse 8. He has blocked my way, so I cannot pass. He shrouded my paths in darkness. He blocked all of Job's escape routes. He plunged them into darkness. Verse 9, he stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head like a king in a besieged city. has dethroned Job, robbed him of all of his dignity and honour. Verse 10, he tears me down on every side until I'm gone. The walls of his life had been destroyed on every side so that Job felt there just was nothing left. He uproots my hope like a tree, he said in verse 10. Not even hope remained because he felt that God had so thoroughly uprooted his life. There was just nothing that he could hold on to in verse 12, his troops advance, me, advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. In anger, Job said, God had sent his overwhelming army against him. And he was surrounded and attacked on all sides. And why did this happen? Why had God wiped him out and reduced his life to rubble? Well, Job said it was because God counts him among his enemies. For some unfathomable reason to Job, God had condemned him as a sinner. That's what he'd felt. That God was against And Job felt that wasn't fair. So verse 7, he said, Though I cry, I've been wronged. I get no response. Though I call for help. There's no justice. Job hadn't done anything to deserve this. And though he'd appealed his case, he got no reply. And so he just felt absolutely condemned by God. And as a result of this, he'd been cut off from everybody. Look at verse 13. Let's read it together. Verse 13 to 19. He has, this is Job again talking about God. God has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and maidservants count me as a stranger. They look on me as an alien. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. John felt
1: completely
0: isolated. From his brothers, his acquaintances, his family, his friends, his servants, his wife. All of them recoiled from him. All of them turned their backs on him. Even the little kids in the street had no respect for Job. Suffering often brings isolation into our lives, doesn't it? Sometimes it's because when we're hurting, we don't want to be around other people. We withdraw from them thinking it's the only way that we can cope. But sometimes it's other people who withdraw from us. Especially when suffering continues. They don't want to be dragged down by our pain. They don't want to have to face our issues. Or maybe they just don't know how to reply and so they just remove themselves. Job said, I'm nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. He was living in a dump. Bankrupt, bereaved, broken, barely hanging on to life. Who'd want to be identified with somebody like that? But more than that, if jobs, friends are anything to go by, then people were convinced that he was suffering so much because he had sinned so much. So who would want to hang out with a guy like that? Of course, it shouldn't have been like that. It's in those darkest of times that we need those who love us to turn up. It's those darkest of times that we need to turn up for those that we love. We are called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In the good times and the bad. In the the great times and the absolutely terrible times. We're supposed to love like that because that's how God loves. His promise to us is, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And as God's people, that's how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be faithful in our friendships, and in our family, and in our love. But that's not what Job experienced. Everyone abandoned him and left him alone. No wonder he pleaded with, in verse 21 Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity. But Job, he didn't just want to have his friends, to help him at this time. More than anything else, Job craved vindication. That's what we are thinking about last week. He says it again in verse 23. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. Job had been falsely accused. And he knew that, as we say today, mud sticks. Even without proof, allegations stick long in people's minds. So Job longed for his words to be recorded. Not just on a scroll, but on metal. And on stone. So they'd last Forever. So that people would know that he did not deserve all that he had suffered. That he was suffering as an innocent man. That's what he longed for. And this happened in a way much more than he could ever have imagined. Job lived probably before any of our Bible was written. Any of the scriptures actually were put down on paper. So he would absolutely no idea that thousands of years later that we'd be here studying his words and learning that he was suffering here as an innocent man. And I think it reminds me that ultimately it doesn't matter what other people think of us. It doesn't matter what accusations are leveled against us through our lives. Ultimately, what matters is what God writes about us in his book. At the final judgment, this is what John records in Revelation chapter 20. He says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. If we put our faith in Jesus, then we've been declared righteous in God's sight forever. And our names have been written in heaven. In the Lamb's book of life. And that means that we will never be condemned we will be forever vindicated. Forever we will be declared innocent in God's sight. And we don't need to fear any judgment or punishment to come. Ultimately what matters is what God writes about us in his book. But Job didn't know all of this. Job didn't have the privilege of knowing the gospel that we have. He was well before Jesus came to this earth. But incredibly, he was still able to look ahead in faith. So much of Job's life was uncertain at this time. He had no idea why he was going through such a hard time. He had no idea what was going to happen in the future to him in this earth. But even in the darkest of times, there was something that Job knew. If you look at verse 25 of Job chapter 19, this is what he said. I know that my Redeemer lives. A Redeemer That's someone who is connected to you by covenant. Someone who'd stand up for you when you cannot stand up for yourself. To demand justice if you've been wronged. To safeguard your inheritance. To ensure your legacy. To guarantee your future. And Job was confident that his Redeemer lives. And he didn't just mean lives then, in that moment. He meant lives and will go on living forever. Because he said next, in verse 25 again, in the end, he will stand upon the earth. In the end, he will stand. And upon the earth it literally means upon the dust, which some people think means upon Job's grave. So better than a tombstone with Job's innocence inscribed on it. Job knew that his Redeemer would be there at the end to vindicate him. To declare that Job was innocent. So who was his Redeemer? Who was Job trusting in to stand up when he couldn't stand up for himself? Who was going to demand justice for Job? Who was going to safeguard his inheritance? Who was going to ensure his legacy? Who was going to guarantee his future? Who else but God alone? Even though Job's complaint was against God... Even though he felt he was struggling with that feeling that God had condemned him. Job was still trusting in God. That God would stand for him. I don't know how Job got his mind around that apparent contradiction. But we know that this tension is resolved. At the cross of Jesus. It is at the cross that God is both our judge and our redeemer. Because in Christ, God both punished our sin and provided our salvation. Peter writes in his letter, Christ died for sins. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That's us, the unrighteous one. To bring you to God. Jesus, like Job was. Jesus was criticized. and He was condemned. Jesus too was cut off from everyone. Betrayed by Judas. Denied by Peter. Abandoned by His disciples, ridiculed by His nation, crucified by His creation, even forsaken by His Father. But unlike Job, Jesus experienced all of this willingly. Jesus chose the cross. And He did it for us. Because He loved us. He suffered in our place. So that He could be our Redeemer. So that we could be declared righteous. So that we could be brought into our relationship with God. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be brought into God's family. So that we could have a secure future. We too have a redeemer. Job, he was confident of his future too. Previously, in his lament, if you remember when we looked at chapter 3, Job wished he was dead. Because in his grief and in his despair, it seemed like death was just the end of everything. And he was just going through such a horrible time that he just wanted it all to stop. Later he said this, as a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. Talks as if the the grave is the end. But later he asked the question, if a man dies, will he live again? He was beginning to consider again the possibility of hope beyond the grave. But by our chapter here, chapter 19, he is able to declare his hope in the resurrection. Look at verse 26. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. In this darkest of times, when it seems so hopeless and empty, Job experienced that growing confidence that death would not hold on to him. That one day he would be face to face with his God. With his Redeemer. And folks, that's the unshakable hope that we have today. That no matter what we go through in our lives, and many of us go through incredible times of suffering, but no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak it seems, this is not the end. There is more to come. And why do we know that? Well, because Jesus did not stay in the grave. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. Revealing his true identity and vindicating him. Romans chapter 1 4 says this, that he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And so we know that he is our Saviour and that he's coming back for us. And we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. If you and I have trusted in Jesus, then this is our confidence. We can declare with job that I know my Redeemer lives. But just finally... If we have this hope, then we need to be concerned for those who don't. That's what Job. how Job finished. Verse 28 in this, this chapter. If you say, this is Job speaking to his friends, if you say how we will hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. His friends had been horrible to him. Criticizing him, accusing him, and yet Job was still concerned for them. Because theirs was a law-based religion. Good or evil, they said, we get what we deserve. And so that meant there was no place in their system, in their theology, for undeserved suffering... And that meant there was no place in their theology for undeserved grace. And what they needed was God's grace. And so if they removed themselves from that, they stood in danger of judgment. And so Job warned them. And folks, we need to do the same as we comfort ourselves with the reality of our living Redeemer, we need to warn others about their need of putting their trust in Jesus too. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Light like job. We do, we, we probably will go through days of darkness and despair. But knowing Jesus makes all the difference. We may feel criticized by friends. We may feel condemned by God. And certainly we may be cut off from everybody. We may crave vindication. But we can be confident that our Redeemer lives. That he will stand up for us and one day we will see him face to face. And so we need to be concerned for others. We need to go and tell them about Jesus. The one who loved them, who gave himself for them. So that they too can experience this unshakable
1: hope. That even the darkest of times can't exist.